Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the arch enemy of Israel. Assyrian armies threatened Jonah's home, his family, and his land. For him, it would be a relief for God to nuke them. With this as a background, let's turn with our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wurtson, to Jonah chapter 1 and learn from the evangelist with an attitude. You see, the Phoenicians were the ones that liked to go to sea. Hebrews hated the sea. They used the sea as a symbol of chaos. They used it as a symbol of destruction. The last place any Israelite in Jonah's day would ever do would be to get on a ship and go to sea. But that's what Jonah did. Why did he do it? I think you could feel it if some of you that were in Vietnam would picture this. You come back from Vietnam... You were in a platoon where Butch, your favorite buddy, had his leg blown off by a mine that was just hidden in the jungle path as you were doing some reconnaissance. Another one of your your platoon had their eyes blinded so they could never see again. You had been in this hot warfare and you had been in villages where it was hard to tell the soldiers from the little kids because little kids would come into your group of soldiers apparently just to exchange pleasantry like kids will do, and then they blow you up with a grenade. You can imagine you come back from Vietnam after two tours of duty, and then your own brother at the end of the war is finally released from Hotel Hanoi. And he comes back, you pick him up at the airplane, as he arrives in New York City, he weighs 100 pounds. And your great big little brother that played football and was muscular and strong now is emaciated. And one thing that burns in your soul as a Vietnam vet is you hate Vietnamese. After you're home for a couple years, you're turning on the TV one day and hate's welling around in your soul. You turn on a Billy Graham crusade and you hear about the gospel. And as Billy presents the gospel at the end of the message and George Beverly Shea begins to sing, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, suddenly, sitting in your easy chair in your living room, your heart breaks. And you realize that Jesus died for you. And something deep inside just says, this is the truth. Jesus suffered on the cross, not just for the sins of the world, but Jesus died for your sins. And you open your heart to the Lord Jesus. You start coming to a church like Midlothian Bible Church. One day in Midlothian Bible Church, they talk about uh, the gospel for Asia. And as you're sitting in this service, as a Vietnam vet that hates Vietnamese, you can feel the call of your heart as this missionary has the audacity of talking about the Vietnamese need people to go, and we need some people to go and reach them with the gospel. How would you feel as a Vietnam vet? Here you've received Jesus into your heart. You know that we're under a great commission to take the gospel into all the world, but you hate the Vietnamese. Now, if you'll feel that tension, that's the tension that Jonah has. In fact, Jonah's the weirdest evangelist that I've ever met. You see, I was raised with evangelists. My dad was an evangelist. Every time my dad called me, he didn't ask me how... Houghton College was going, how my chemistry major was going. Dad would get on the phone and said, Dave, I just had a meeting in Chicago, and we just met in a great big armory, and there were 350 people that decided for Christ. And then he would tell me that one meeting after another. That's what my dad did. He just would constantly tell me about people being saved. And my dad was up, he was excited, and he was thrilled to death that people got saved. 
And that's why when I open up to the book of Jonah, it is incredible. Because Jonah is discouraged. He's depressed. When God gives him the biggest results that a guy could ever have. And that's what we're going to find out happened when Jonah preached. Jonah goes to Nineveh and he has the biggest results of anybody that has ever preached the good news about Jesus and about God. Why did he have such a bad attitude? We've been working through things that we're willing to live and die for. And the basic core value we want to get across this month as we talk about Jonah is that Yahweh, our God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit care about unbelievers. They care about the kids you're going to school with. They care about the kids that are out, you know, getting smashed and getting drunk. They care about the guys that you work with in construction that can't compose a sentence without cursing him. He cares about Brazilians. He cares about Albanians. We're going to talk about the reality that we have a God that cares for every single one of you in this room. I was in a church not too long ago where the church, as the church service got going, the pastor got up and just lambasted the audience. He said, man, if you're involved in sin and if you're committing sexual sin and if you're involved in drugs, and man, he just yelled and yelled for about 10 minutes and said, you ought to get out of here. We don't want you here. If you're involved in that kind of stuff, get out of here. And I was basically talking to believers. And it's true that the Lord, when he comes into our life, needs to change our life. But I couldn't help but think, as he was yelling and ranting and raving at this congregation and telling people to leave, I couldn't help but think, if if I was an unbeliever that came to the service, and I was just saying, hey, I'm reading the Bible a little bit, I'm kind of getting interested in this spiritual thing, Uh, I couldn't imagine how I would feel. It'd be like walking into someone's house for a party and your, your host begins to cuss you out and yell at you and tell you to leave. What I want to get across to you is that Jonah has that kind of a spirit. I want to just say to you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never invited Jesus personally into your heart, we are thrilled that you are here today. I don't care if you're into Indian religions, if you're Buddhist, if you're Islamic. I don't care if you're um, a secularist that just doesn't believe anything. I don't care if you're, you know, a construction worker or an electrician or someone that hasn't been at church in the last 40 years. We are thrilled to death that you're here. And I just want to let you know for this family, we could not be more excited for the fact that you walked in the door. I also want to say to the rest of the family, most of our friends that have those kind of beliefs aren't going to walk through our door. So one thing our core value is going to say is we we want to learn from the book of Jonah not to have a heart that rejects people, that turns them off before we even have a chance to present the gospel to them. In other words, if we really believe this stuff, that we have a Savior, Jesus, that died on the cross and his death is so powerful... He can forgive anything that's ever been done by anybody, anytime, any place. And if we really believe he's risen from the dead, then who has the greatest good news in the world? It's us. And the thing that amazes me as I travel around the world is that those of us that have the greatest good news in all the world sometimes communicate the worst negative, closed attitude towards people. In fact, churches can be a place where if you come in, you know, with tattoos all over you and rings all over your nose and through your ears and through your belly button and a million other places, 
That can be the one place that doesn't hug you, that doesn't respond to you, that doesn't make you feel at home. And what I want to get across for the next few weeks is we can't afford to have that kind of a spirit. I actually heard, I think I shared with you, I was actually in Florida, and some people were telling me about moving to a new area. They tried to find a church, and the church actually asked them to leave. At the end of the service, they said, you're visitors. We don't like visitors here. Please leave. You ought to find another church. I couldn't believe it. But it shows you what the incredible thing that the evil one can do. And so I want you to know if you're visiting with us, you are in a family that's thrilled to death that you're here. And I want to also communicate to every one of us that already know Jesus that as we go out into the world, that the Lord wants us not to have that judgmental, critical, rejecting spirit that Jonah had. And that's what we're going to learn. And what I love about the book of Jonah is unlike a lot of our literature that's written from Christian circles. You can go to the family bookstore and you pick up a biography of D.L. Moody and it'll tell you all the good things D.L. Moody did. Like when I was a kid, I would read all these biographies. D.L. Moody, Hudson Taylor, you know, all these different biographies. And you know what I noticed? They were all perfect. D.L. Moody never made any mistakes. Hudson Taylor was a missionary that no one could ever, ever be But you know what? Those books never told you about the personality conflicts that Hudson Taylor had at times with his staff. They didn't tell you about the fact that John Wesley, for example, some of you that are from a Methodist background, I never heard when I was growing up, I heard about John Wesley, this great evangelist. I never heard that his wife couldn't stand him. That he actually came to America to get away from his wife. And when his wife died, this is really sad, he didn't even hear about it for about eight months to nine months. You see, he was in a very unhappy marriage because we're all just people. And that doesn't mean that John Wesley wasn't a great man of God. It just meant he was like the rest of us. We can have struggles, we can have problems. And one of the things that I love about God's word is that God's word tells the truth. As we open up the book of Jonah, we're going to have one of the strangest books that you've ever been exposed to because the evangelist, this is an evangelist with an attitude. He's one of the most successful evangelists that's ever lived, but he hated the results that he got, and he closes the book by being really angry with God. And yet I love it because it's true to life. You're going to have some of these attitudes. You're going to have some of these spirits as you go through your life. And as you open the pages of God's word, rather than it lying to you and snowing you, it's going to tell you exactly the way life really is. So let's look at chapter 1, and let's look at the rebellion of this prophet. It says in Jonah chapter 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So far, so good. It's a great thing to have the word of the Lord come to you. This is a standard prophetic phrase. We have God's command to Jonah. Not many people get to hear the direct revelatory voice of God. In the Old Testament, it was a man like Amos. It was a man like Hosea. It was a man like Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to them. I wrote my dissertation on Hosea, and Hosea begins, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, just like it came to Jonah. But Jonah is the only prophet in the recorded scripture that disobeys the word of the Lord. 
Amos will say, the word of the Lord came upon me. What else could I do but prophesy? But that's why I kind of identify with Jonah, because sometimes I can have a little bit of the spirit of Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. His name means dove. And I don't know whether you know, his name has any significance in the book, but it's interesting that the dove was the, the bird that was let out of the ark when Noah was trying to find out whether the judgment of God had abated. So it was a symbol of God's redemption and of his bringing a new life to the world. A dove was used as a sacrifice, as a means, like if you were a poor person, you could bring a dove and you could offer as a sacrifice and it would renew your fellowship with the Lord. And so Jonah had a name, even in English, we talk about he has a dove personality, it would mean that he's not a hawk, he's not a warrior kind of a person. But Jonah is the opposite of his name. He wants God to zap the Ninevites. They are the communists of the ancient world. They are the Nazis of the ancient world. He is like a Jew that was a Russian Jew that was in in Russia, that escaped the pogroms, came to Israel, and escaped the more than, like, several million. I mean, I think it's something like 17 million Jews that Stalin killed, even more than Hitler did. Jonah is like a guy that's living in Israel that receives a command to go back to Moscow, to go back to Russia where he faced all that persecution. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. He's the son of a Mittai, and he's not very dove-like. He's going to be hawkish in this book. His father's name means the truth, my truth, Yahweh's truth. So we have a guy that's named Dove who's the son of my truth. Now, good night. You talk about being reminded of the redemption of God and the healing grace of God. This guy can't even have his mother call him in for supper without being reminded of God's covenant love and his desire to forgive. So Jonah, the dove that's the son of my truth, receives this direct word from the Lord. What is it? He wants to go to the great city, the city of Nineveh. I want you to preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, I think when Jonah first got that, the first got the command, he probably said, man, this is good. You know, God's going to wipe out the city. But there's only one hitch in this. As we turn over to chapter 4, verse 1, I don't want you to look there because that would be to jump a little bit ahead of this story. But Jonah tells us later on in the story that he knew that the reason God has given him this command to go to Nineveh and the specific message he's going to have is go and tell them in 40 days I'm going to destroy the city. What that meant was that God gave a delay. And if God gave a delay, what does that mean? If the judgment's going to be delayed, maybe God could forgive. Maybe God could let the Ninevites out. And Jonah tells us from the very first time he heard God's command to go to Nineveh, that's what's in his mind. You see, he wants the wickedness of the Assyrians to be destroyed. Just to give you an idea of what the Assyrians were like. Some of the Assyrian kings would would write about conquering a city and taking all the soldiers they killed and skinning them. And then hanging the skin corpses up on the wall of the city and then taking the skin, kind of like the Nazis did, and hanging that all around the city as well. Great people. Great nation. Another thing the Assyrians would talk about doing is they would, they would conquer an enemy and then they would cut off their heads. And they'd pile these heads into pyramids on the borders of the land that they conquered. 
And the Assyrian king would boast about these, these skeleton heads, these, these pyramids of heads that were on the land. In the book of Hosea, it describes Assyria like a, like a lion that mauls its prey. The Assyrians were the inventor of terror warfare. The idea of terrorizing your enemy by the brutal acts of just terrible violence that you do so that your enemy becomes so afraid that they can't resist you. That was what the Assyrians did in the ancient world. And Jonah knows that. As soon as he hears, go to Nineveh, the great city, that's what's in the back of his mind. I also want you to know that Nineveh, as the main city, the most important city of the Assyrian Empire, it wasn't until a little bit after Jonah's time that, it be, that we know for sure historically that it became the one capital, the major capital of the Assyrian Empire. Unlike modern times, like Washington, D.C. has been our capital almost since the beginning. Some of you didn't know New York City was one of our first capitals, and it kind of moved around. But then Washington's been pretty settled in our nation. In the ancient world, the kings would move their capital cities around. But Nineveh becomes the major, central, most important city. Genesis chapter 10 tells us that Nineveh was founded by Nimrod, who in Genesis chapter 10 is described as being a mighty hunter before the Lord. Some of you kids that have been studying world history have noticed that world history has major empire builders. People like Alexander the Great. Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler in modern times. These are men that wanted to conquer the world, that wanted to build an empire, and they used the force of arms to be able to do it. Nimrod was the beginning of that kind of empire building, and Nineveh was one of the cities that he built in order to accomplish his objective. And so when Jonah receives this word, what I want all of you to realize is that this city is a wicked city. Its whole ethos, its whole atmosphere is to destroy God's people, to take over the world. It is the anti-kingdom of God. And that'll help you understand why Jonah doesn't want to go there. In the United States of America today, there's great polarization. I've often mentioned this to you, but as I travel, as I talk to unbelievers, I mention, like, what do you think of when you think of born again? Fanatic? Uh, bigoted? Destructive? I talked to an Israeli yesterday on the phone, and he was talking a little bit to me about the present situation. Man, you mentioned born again to my Israeli friend. He thinks in terms of ultra-right-wing people that, you know, like the Ku Klux Klan. It's all kind of lumped together. Now, if I was a public relations man, I would say born-againers have a big public relations problem. What would you say? In fact, Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says that we're kind of like Jonah. He uses the analogy that we're like, and he uses a little bit different. I, I use a ray can. The other day, there was wasp in our garage. And Mary came out and said, Dave, man, there's wasp. They're building a nest right in our garage. She said, go get the raid. So, man, I go searching through the house. And I love raid cans, man. They are powerful, destructive agents. I mean, they're incredible. A good raid wasp killer is incredible. I mean, here's all these wasps that are gathered in the nest. You get up there, and a, and a wasp raid can can explode on a beehive. I mean, that's the idea of it. So you can get away and it kills them all before they sting you. So don't use ant raid. You got to use bee raid. Got it? 
I think Mary did the destruction this time. I'm not sure which one of us got the pleasure of taking this ray can and like this and all the bees shrivel up and they die. You can even watch those that come from afar. They land on the ray-destroyed hive and they're dead just in an instant. That's the way people think of us. We are the raid cans of the moral world. And unbelievers have the idea that Bible-believing Christians are those that want to exterminate everyone that disagrees with them. Some of our rhetoric sounds like that. The unbelievers are the enemy. They're the ones that are the wicked. They're the ones that need to burn forever in hell. Now, it's very important to understand that the Bible does teach that we're all wicked that for all of sin and all of come sure the glory of God. And the Bible teaches that we all should be in hell forever and ever. But what a lot of unbelievers are not hearing today is that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from every sin. And God is not willing that any should perish. And God doesn't want us to be like a, a destructive ray can. He wants us to be like perfume, as Philip Yancey says. He wants us to go into our offices. He wants us to go into our schools. He wants us to go into our neighborhoods. And he wants us to go with this incredible commitment and hope that God can save the most destructive, wicked sinner imaginable. That's what Jonah's about. Jonah's about the heart of God that wants to save a people that Dave Wurtson would never believe could be saved. God has Ninevites in our life. God has people out there that you would never dream in a million years that they'd ever respond to the word of the Lord. And what we're going to learn in the book of Jonah is that that's exactly the kind of a person that the Lord wants to reach. You never know when the voice of the Lord is going to go forth and a, a, a wicked, evil person is going to be changed into a saint. Do you believe that? Is that what you believe? You see, one of the biggest dangers is that we could sit here. We have a nice family of believers. As I look around this room, you know, the Lord has really changed some of you. Not all of you, but he's changed some of you. No, I'm like kidding. (laughs) As I look around the room, I'm not kidding. There's incredible stories in this room. And there were days, some of you, like I remember one time when Mary shared about, you know, being at UT and we went to a football game and, and everybody got drunk as a skunk around us, man. It was a cold day. They had every bottle imaginable stuck in their coats. And while they were cheering the Longhorns on, they would take a swig every time you turn around. So before the game was over, everybody around us was drunk. One guy went out right, just out cold and fell down in the stands. And then he vomited all over the place. Great picture. And remember, Mary was in a, in, a, in a sharing time, and she was sharing, I can't believe our kids are in this pagan university. And these awful people, you know, these, these drunk students. I'll never forget, Keith Hearn went over to Mary and hugged her as Mary was ranting, not really ranting and raving against these unbelieving students. But I'll never forget, Keith Hearn went over and he hugged her and said, Mary, I want you to know something. I used to be one of those students. And Keith was reminding Mary and I both, what God wanted Jonah to realize is that the word of the Lord comes upon somebody and the person that you least expect can be born again and they become a new creation in Jesus. Amen? I want us as a church family to have that 
that passion for the Assyrians of our world, a passion for people that don't know the Lord, rather than being like a raid can that's rejecting them and communicating anger towards them, I want you to be communicating the incredible good news that Christ can change a life. And you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out as you begin to catch a hold of this message and you start realizing that God has a tremendous love for those that are lost, that his desire is not for them to burn in hell forever and ever, but it's his desire is for them, his heart for them is for them to enjoy him and to enjoy his love forever and ever and ever. As you begin to enter into that, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out that unbelievers aren't as bad as you think they are. Now that's a weird message. You're going to find out that some of the people that you think are really bad aren't as bad as you think that they are, that they have more sense sometimes and more openness to what you're trying to get across than you could have ever imagined. I want to tell you something else you're going to learn. Some of the people that are on your side, some of the people that are on your team are a lot worse than you ever dreamt they were. How many of you have found that out? And that can be really discouraging. And that's why I want to encourage you, because Jonah is telling us this story. You see, Jonah receives the word of the Lord. He's supposed to go to Nineveh, the great city. He's to preach against them because their witness is coming to all the earth. Now, what does Jonah do? We have the command of the Lord. I would expect, and Jonah rose up, and he obeyed the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Look at verse 3. Now, Jonah rose up, and he ran away from the Lord. And he headed for Tarshish, which is, the word Tarshish in Hebrew means the farthest most place in the sea. It can be used of a port in Spain. It can be used of Sardonia. It can be used just of the ocean itself, which the Israelis hated. Jonah is going west instead of going east. He's supposed to be walking overland 550 miles. And instead, he is, he is boarding a ship in Joppa, headed the opposite direction. He said he boarded this ship. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship that was bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard the ship and he, that was sailing for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Maybe some of you can remember days when you've done that. Jonah wants to flee from the Lord because he has this crazy idea that maybe Yahweh will only speak in Israel. That's his idea. Because usually the prophets receive the message from the Lord in their native country. So Jonah feels, if he can get out in the Mediterranean, that he can get away from the voice of God. One of Satan's biggest temptations when we have wrong attitudes, when anger starts to infect our souls, is we start to have this idea that I can run away from the Lord. That I can get somewhere where he doesn't exist. One of the major points that this story wants to get across to us is that you can go to the farthest place of the sea, you can take a, a spaceship to the farthest place in the universe, you can go to the farthest country, but one thing you're never going to be able to do, you're never going to be able to get away from the voice of the Lord. You're never going to get away from his voice. Some of you are going to grow up, and anger is going to infect your soul like Jonah, some of you as adults might even be there like that today. You look back over your life and remember when the word of the Lord came to you, when you really heard the voice of the Spirit speaking to your heart, and you said no, and you began to go down, 
You began to turn away and you thought you could get away. Well, I've got some good news, bad news for you. The bad news is that God's voice can become very strong. And God's spank can get really hard. But the good news is that it'll give you a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. It's one of the things we're going to learn in this book. That we worship a God that can even use a disobedient prophet. Jonah is going the opposite direction of the Lord. He's heard the word of the Lord, but now he's rankly disobeying the Lord. He's committing treason against his king. So what happens? The word of the Lord sent a great wind. The Lord, like, a, like throwing a spear, like throwing a javelin, the Lord throws a great wind at the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. All the soldiers were afraid, and they each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. This unbelieving group of Phoenicians, and they worship gods of nature. They have their personal gods. They have their gods of their cities. And they have national gods. They worship three kinds of gods. And these sailors are just polytheists. They're just crying out to any god that might listen. But they're praying. They at least have some kind of a spiritual dimension to their life. In the midst of this storm, they realize this is weird. Something really supernatural is happening. And the unbelievers are the ones that are grasping at the spiritual dimension. What's Jonah doing? While the sailors are crying out to their gods. They don't, they don't cry out to the true God. But they're crying out to their gods. But at least they're praying. And they're also practical. They're throwing the cargo overboard. To, because the ship is so heavy. And they're trying to lighten the load. What's God's servant doing? But Jonah had gone below. Look at the next verse there where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. I mean, he goes out cold. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. I love the irony of this. Jonah is the evangelist. Jonah is the prophet. What's Jonah doing? He's sound asleep. I mean, he is out cold. One thing that will happen to you when you disobey the Lord and you turn against him, you get angry. Then your anger turns into depression. And one of the things you do when you're really depressed is you'll want to sleep all the time. Now, you can have a depression just because of chemical imbalances. For that, you need to go to the doctor and get the right kind of medicine. But I also want you to know that like Jonah, you can get really depressed because you're disobedient. And that's what Jonah is depressed about. He's disobedient. He's in the wrong place on the wrong ship. And he is depressed and angry. And what he does what lots of people do. He just goes out like a light in the bottom of the ship. But this chapter shows us that Yahweh is still working. And it's the captain, this unbelieving captain, that shakes the evangelist and says, Hey, you know, we're in a deadly situation here. We should be praying. Why don't you get up and pray? And I want you to know that your unbelieving friends, you're going to find out as you start to live authentically before them, as you start to be honest with them, if you're not asleep, if you're awake, and you're open to the opportunities around you, you're going to find out that the sovereign God of the universe is already reaching into your office. He's already touching hearts in your school. He's already causing there to be untold opportunities for you to be able to have a spiritual influence into an unbeliever's life. You're going to find people like the captain. 
He was a rank unbeliever. I would never expect in a million years that this rank Phoenician captain, that's a polytheist, would be the one that's shaking the prophet and saying, why don't you get up and pray? But that's what we're going to find as we go out into the world. Brothers and sisters, we're going to go on. I don't want to just, I don't want to rush the most famous part of the story, which is when he gets swallowed by the fish and they throw him into the sea. And we want to talk the next time we share him about that. But one of the things that really concerns me is that the book of Jonah has become famous as a big fish story. And yet what I'm beginning to introduce you to is that this is not a fish story. This is a God story. This is not about whether God can provide a submarine that can keep Jonah alive. And we're going to talk about that. I think it's hilarious that, that, that we as human beings can make submarines and we wonder whether God can do it and keep it alive for three days. We'll talk about that. You need to think about that. And we're going to be learning about the fact that we're committed supernaturalists. But as we begin to get in the book of Jonah, what I want you to ask yourself is, how do you feel about unbelievers? How do you feel towards your friends at school that don't know the Lord Jesus? Are you closed? One of the things that Satan wants to do is make a big division. He wants the believers like Jonah to be asleep in the bottom of the ship while the tremendous storms at sea are taking place. While unbelievers are facing tremendous crises, people getting cancer, people getting sick. Can you imagine what it would be like to go through what we've been going through without Jesus? It's going to be all right, no matter what, because we have Jesus. When there's a terrible storm, Jesus is still there. He can still calm the sea. But you know, brothers and sisters, you've got friends at school, you've got friends at work. They're going to face those same kind of crises, and some of them don't know Jesus at all. And that's what I want you to get a heart for. I want you to get a heart for unbelievers. I want to get a heart for unbelievers that need to learn about this incredibly good Jesus. And one thing I'd like all of you to do, I'm going to close with a very simple thing you can do with your unbelieving friends. Some of you say, well, Dave, if I reach out to an unbelieving friend, like, for example, I'm working out down at the gym. And there's a lot of guys that work out with you. When you lift weights, you can't do it by yourself. You always have to have a spotter if you try to lift heavy. So you start to develop relationships. And you can say, well, Dave, how do you, cro- how do you get a chance to talk to them about Jesus? Do you rip out of four spiritual laws and present the whole gospel to them? Well, sometimes that you know, can turn you off. Janae had somebody do that at, at the Mars music store. Just about lay the whole gospel, everything else. And it just, she's a believer and it scared her to death. So here's something really easy to do. As you begin to to have a relationship with an unbeliever, you can say something like this. I want you to know I believe in Jesus. You probably gather that from our relationship. You know, one of the things that Jesus does is he really answers prayer. Is there anything that I could pray with you about? Is there anything I could pray for you? When your friends cut you out at school or when somebody rejects you, just lean back and smile and say, you know, I really believe in Jesus. Is there anything I could pray for you about? Any need, anything at all? The anger will go and they'll say, yeah, you know what? My mom just had an MRI and it looks like she has cancer. Would you pray for her? Or I really want to get accepted in such and such a school and I haven't had the results come through yet. Could you pray that I get accepted? Or I don't have the tuition money for school. Could you pray I could get a job that would cover? We want to write down those requests. 
And then you know, what you do, you start praying. Get really serious about praying for the requests of your unbelieving friends. And then from time to time, maybe a couple weeks later, just check with them about how it's going. And get an update on your prayer requests. You know what happens? Your unbelieving friends start to experience the power of a God that answers prayer. And once your friends start understanding that this supernatural thing called God is really a person, it's not very hard to make some steps into the fact that God loves them so much that he gave his son to die for them and that he rose again to give them a new life. And as God begins to move in answering our prayers for unbelieving people, then just like the sailors on Jonah's ship, we're going to find out that Yahweh is already at work in people's hearts. Will you do that this week? Will you get up the courage to go public, number one, with the fact that you're a Yahweh worshiper. You believe in Jesus, amen? And then I want you to start just, it's easy to say to an unbeliever, is there anything I could pray for you about? And then just pray about it and let God work. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for some of my unbelieving friends. And I want to ask you, Lord, that you would help me to learn to speak their language and not speak some holy language that they don't understand. Lord, as I look over this room, the, the multiplication could be incredible. As we go into our jobs and as we go into gyms and as we go into different restaurants, as we will have business meetings and as some of us will even be jumping in airplanes and flying and sitting next to people, I ask you, Lord, that you would open up opportunity for us to pray for unbelievers. It's something that all of us can do to pray for their specific needs, to give them a taste of the gracious, compassionate love that Jonah was rejecting. Father, I would pray that you would use this uh, introduction to this prophet that was not a very good example. But I thank you for your honesty. I thank you that you don't snow us. I thank you that Jonah was even able to write down this book and did not present himself as some superhero. Instead, he presented himself as the one that was disobedient, as the one who didn't have your heart. And I thank you for that. And I would pray, Lord, that you would create that kind of honesty in our own hearts so that we can help each other. And I pray that it wouldn't be just an evangelistic campaign that we conjure up, but that it would be the power of your Holy Spirit, that word of the Lord that came to Jonah. Lord, we've received the word of the Lord to go into all this world and make disciples. And I'd ask you, Lord, that you would help us to be magnets that attract people and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the fact that you're alive. Thank you that you control the storm. As we leave Jonah uh, being a negative example on the deck of that ship, I'd ask you, Lord, that you would whet our appetites. I pray that my church family will begin to read Jonah over and over again and that we would let the message of this book change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.